The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the BWI Daily Edition. We are live here on Wednesday. Two of the smartest, most informed minds on Penn State recruiting are going to be answering your questions tonight. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. I'm not one of those two people. Ryan Snyder, Sean Fitz, they know more than anybody about Penn State football recruiting other than the coaches themselves. So we're going to get into all of that, talk about the class, break down some interesting parts of it, and give you any up-to-date information we may have at the moment. It's coming up on the BWI Daily Edition. Let's bring in the panel of experts. There they are, Ryan Snyder, Sean Fitz. Welcome, guys. Thank you for making time after a very long day and a very long year of recruiting. I mean, Sean yeah, no arguments half, there. Sean was <laughs> off for half of it, but yeah. Hey, really I was still around, Sean. still doing, going to camps, observing, doing every little you thing. Did. But yeah, the four months off really made this cycle go a lot quicker than usual. So I'll take that. Ryan did a heck of a job, of course, uh, all year round, as he always does, and, and on signing day as well. So, um, yeah, he's uh, he, did, he did a phenomenal job, and uh, I took time off. It was pretty. It was a win-win. Well, <laughs> this is my first recruiting cycle with both of you guys, and I just, I just want to say, for people watching the show who think that this is all about, like, sitting and, and watching film and, uh, you know, just sitting around talking to people, these guys are some of the most active people that you're going to see on the Penn State football beat. Ryan has gone to multiple locations, including Iowa this year. Fits uh, at a bunch of camps this summer, like that. you just yeah. talked about. <laughs> uh, Sean, it was at a bunch Sean of camps. The last building. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was being sincere for a second, but no, uh, you guys yeah, are. You guys are the best. You guys put in a lot of work. I want today. I want this show to be a celebration. I want to talk about the class. I want to have some fun uh, and, and obviously break it down for fans and answer questions here on the show. So if you want to get your question on the air, the best way guaranteed is uh, to give us a donation to the channel on the YouTube show. Uh, our, our tip jar is open. So if you want to give a super chat, I'll be absolutely able to see it. And then we'll get your question here on air. We'll be discussing large portions of the classes. I don't know that we're going to get to every single player, but we'll do our best. So I want to start, uh, Fitz, I want to start with you, your, your kind of overview of this class. What, what's your big takeaway from the class of 2023? Deep class, um, you know, spread wide in terms of positions, uh, covered some things that they kind of missed on in the previous class, got three linebackers, which I think they needed. Um, still a little light on both lines, so they're going to keep watching into February for the possibly an offensive lineman, still looking at the portal for some other positions. Uh, but honestly, uh, just looking all over the place, it's, it, it's pretty deep in spots where they needed to be deep added two running backs, which was an absolute necessity when you take a look at how this season played out. Of course, with the quarterbacks, I mean, you, you've got, you, you want to take one every year. Um, receivers a little light, offensive line. I love the offensive line class, um, but uh, the, you could use another, another tackle there. Um, so just looking around, I think it's a good compliment to the 2022 class, which I think really set the table, especially with guys that were able to get in and make an impact as true freshmen. So I think they they did a good job of, of filling those needs. I think there's some some really high-end players here. I don't think it has the early impact potential of last year, but I mean that was a I don't want to say a once in a lifetime thing, but that was a that was a uh, a very special class in terms of Singleton, Katron Allen, uh Abdul Carter, of course, and and some of those other guys. So I think this this class will take a little bit of time to uh catch up, but it's it's part of that stacking classes that we always talk about in, in terms of assembling talent at certain spots and spots that can win you championships. Ryan, coming over you. What did mm -hmm. you take away from this group? So a couple of things I'll add on to what Sean was saying. If you look back at last year's class, right, had a bunch of five-star players. This class, Javen Williams is a five-star course by on three. We use the on three consensus. He just misses out at number 35. So 
when you don't have those five-star players, it's it's hard to crack that top 10. And if you look at this, the region in general this year, which, yes, Penn State's doing a better job nationally, but they're not getting five stars nationally yet. There's only a select group of schools that are doing that. So when you look at just the region, I mean, Nicholas Harbor was a five-star. I, I can't think of too many others that were five-stars outside of Ohio. I mean, it just – I'm talking mid-Atlantic region, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had a, you had a good core group in the mid-Atlantic of – solid four-star guys right guys from 100 to 300 range and penn state got the majority of those guys but if you're going to have a top 10 class and you don't have a lot of five stars in your region you have to land a, a bunch of top 150 guys And the middle Atlantic region just really doesn't have that like georgia does like florida like a lot of those schools down south so that was always going to make this difficult now one two other things i would add to this when if we if i can go back to last year after last season there were a lot of there were two positions in, that I thought a lot of people had concerns about. Offensive line, of course. I think Penn State's offensive line improved a lot this season. But going back to last year, when you start, you know, half these guys committed, what back in what were they pretty much committed in what February, January? You know, when you look yeah, at Birch, group, of course, yeah. which was last July. But my point is with with this is just they they saw those needs and they addressed those needs early on. And then linebacker was the other one. Now linebacker looks a lot better now with Abdul Carter. But again, go back a year ago, go back to just August. We we were talking a lot about how uh, you know who's going to step up. Obviously, there was talent there, but there weren't there weren't talent like this. There weren't Tony Rojas kind of talents, Kavion Keys kind of talents. Uh, of course, Tammy Robinson's a credible talent too. We just have to see how he rebounds from the injury. So I think two positions there that Penn State really hit on that we were all talking about. We'd like Penn, Penn State fans would like to see uh, you know get get some talent in there, and they did. And then by the way, tight end, which is already a stacked class, but they signed arguably the second best tight end class in the country behind Georgia. So th there's there's a lot of different ways that we can go, but I want to start with the positive, and I want to start with some of the things we got here in the chat. Of course, we said that today is about you guys talking with Fitz and with Ryan. So uh, Brian starts with the niceties, so he gets first crack. Thanks for great coverage, guys. Very excited to keep uh, Kari Nelson. Reminds me a mix of Tig, Brisker, and Marcus Allen. Wow, that is quite the player. Good ball <laughs> skills and a big hitter. It, I like Dakari Nelson. We're going to get to Dakari Nelson. Uh, is he a combination of Tig, Brisker, and Marcus Allen? That seems like a very, very high bar. <laughs> little Ronnie, little Ronnie Lott in there, Steve Alvo, you know, every, <laughs> all the great safeties in there. Uh, yeah, he's very big, very good. It can move. Um, in terms of, like, uh, I was reading a different question about who are you most surprised that Penn State actually signed. He was the guy that jumps to mind there because from out of region, uh, from Selma, Alabama, it's a long way up here. What, what would he say? 14 hours on his trip uh, up and yeah. back for that for that yeah. drive last year. God bless you if you can make that drive. I mean, that's with that a baby, something. by the way, with a baby in the car. Yeah. This yeah, that's a uh, oh boy. But uh, no, I mean, you've, you've got the potential to stick it. Say if you can stick it safety, which we've, we've I think we talked about this in, in recent weeks. If you're that big, but you can move at that level naturally people are going to want to move you're going to want to move him into that sam spot we wanted to move abdul carter into that edge spot last year talked about tamir robinson today potentially moving to an edge but they want to see what he can do at middle linebacker but if you're that big and you can move that's that's the alabama model i mean that's that's what you that's why you end up with 250 pound middle linebackers and that can actually run from sideline to sideline so keep doing that i'm not saying takari nelson is going to be that but he ha has the uh, the movement skills of a safety at six three, nearly two hundred pounds, which is 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 very rare, obviously. Uh, and to get that kid, I, I'll be honest with you. Uh, looking at his recruitment, um, Ole Miss was there at the end. Alab or excuse me, Auburn had him on on campus with the old staff, but not so much with the new staff. Given how that guy moves, I'm wondering what the catch is because there's no way that guy should get out of the SEC. And that's uh, a compliment. That's a compliment to Dakari Nelson more so than a, a demerit on the other guys recruiting him. But uh, that's that's what I take away from this is that this guy is big, can move. I'm ex really excited to see him. I'm not convinced he won't eventually be a Sam just because nature is going to take over nutrition programs, strength programs, and things like that. But I'm excited to see somebody that big. And and Poindexter is, is willing to play a safety that big. I mean, he's not just going to cast him off. Um, so we'll see how fast he is when he gets to uh, college. We'll see what those mo movement skills carry over when he gets in the lifting program. But as as exciting as a guy that uh, as I'm probably more excited to watch him grow uh, than anybody else in that defensive class. 
one thing I've been harping on is I love his man coverage skills. And if you tell me you have a Sam linebacker that used to play corner, has man coverage skills, like you've got, that is a special uh, grouping of skills. Uh, you mentioned uh, the next question here. Thanks for the great coverage all year. Quick question from Dave. He says, who are the 22 commits uh, you were most surprised committed and signed with Penn State this cycle for the class of 2023? Ryan, I'm going to throw this one to you. Yeah. Who's your surprise in this class? Well, just real quick, I want to add something on Dakari. You know who Dakari reminds me of? Anthony Poindexter. Big, physical. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I didn't, obviously, I didn't watch Dex a lot of the day, but if you kind of, if you watch some of the highlights on you, there are some similarities there. Dex likes big safeties. There, there are, he's not Dex. He's not going to be a college Hall of Famer. I'm not trying to say that, but I, it, I do see it there. So, uh, who most surprised me? I mean, KB on Keys was surprising just because down the stretch, what did we keep hearing, Sean? Like, I mean, it was, that he, uh, that we're he in it. Do it. Yeah, he right, do it. right, right. It was, he came for the visit. And then it was just like a roller coaster, as James said today. Comes for the visit. It was uh, a couple weeks of, hey, you know, sounds good. Penn State might flip them. And then it just was, we got down to maybe the beginning of December and it was, yeah, not really feeling this one, probably unlikely. And then boom, you know, he decommits. So I think, how many people today brought up Alan Zemitis talking about KV on Keys? I mean, pretty much everybody I talked to, or uh, Terry brought him up. Andy brought him up. Kenny brought him up uh, as far as Alan Zemitis, and he's the reason that re that recruitment got over the line. And I believe we heard it from Manny Diaz on the live show today. So massive credit to Alan Zemitis. I mean, he's uh, maybe the sleeper as far as the, the best recruiter on this staff that no one talks about. So I'll go KV on keys there. And then just Carmelo Taylor because that was one where – the staff was at practice. Yeah, I mean the staff. I was I was kind of hoping James was going to bring that up today during the live right. show or at some point. Uh, how funky that commitment was, just because uh, I think we were all thrown through the loop. Uh, we're texting people and they're like, "What do you mean? Like we're at practice? Like I, I don't I don't know what you're talking about right now." And then sure enough, they go on the phone with him a few hours later and, and it's official. And then he stuck too because there was a time we were like, "Is this really going to happen? Is this is there games going on here?" Sure enough, he signs. Well, we watched last year, we watched Andre Roy commit in the same manner with a essentially homemade graphic. Somebody else made him a graphic. Penn State didn't know about it when he put the tweet out. And this was similar to what Carmelo Taylor did. And then and you saw what happened at the end with mm -hmm. Marilyn, Andre Roy, Mike Loxley, all that stuff. So we were just kind of like waiting for the punchline to come out again. And it didn't. Um, so, you know, credit to Car Carmelo Taylor. But that was just a guy that was sort of off the radar. I mean, we he came in for an official visit, so he wasn't that far off the radar. But like when a commitment goes up, if we don't know about it in advance, we have a really good idea of who it could be. Taylor was just so random. So um, that was that was an interesting one. He, he's one of those guys that like. I don't want to say you forget he's in the class, but we don't we don't really talk about Carmelo Taylor at all. Just looking at uh, the, the the last couple of podcasts that we've done and things like that. So there are guys in this class that you know have been forgotten, but at the same time, that's kind of good because low maintenance is very good. Uh, James Franklin talked about Alex Birchmeyer today, how they were basically like, "Don't waste your time coming to see us because we're locked in. Go see somebody else where it matters." And I think that that's that's a really cool aspect of this cycle where they got a lot of guys on board early and very low drama down the stretch. And uh, that, I think that's really cool. And that's a, that's a credit to the way they do things credit to the, the kids that are signing as well. One big thing we got to get to quickly and then uh, update a situation Then we'll get back to your questions here on the BWI daily edition, the recruiting signing show was extravaganza. We're here talking about all that stuff, but just in the distance, really, it's not even in the distance anymore. It's in the foreground because we've passed, the early signing day is the Rose Bowl. And if you haven't made your ticket, uh, your arrangements yet, you're here watching this show, you're probably a Penn State super fan. So get to LA the easy way and at a price you won't find anywhere else from our friends at Collegiate Athletic Travel. They'll fly out there for just $8.95 round trip, a price that you can afford. Uh, non-stop via Southwest Airlines charter flight from Harrisburg to the Hollywood Burbank Airport, LA's Easy In, Easy Out Airport, departs December 30th and returns January 3rd. Book now, only a few seats remaining at this price. It's brought to you by Penn State's longtime bowl travel expert, Collegiate Athletic Travel. For more details, athletictravel.com. You guys have a better sense of uh, having to go to these things and booking tickets and all that stuff than I do. Uh, Ryan, you just booked some tickets to get out to L.A. recently, right? 
well, first off, I did cat the last Rose Bowl. That's how I got out there. And then two, yeah, I paid more than that. <laughs> so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I, I was telling Sean when you know when this promotion came through, I was like, wait a minute, I kind of want to change this up here because uh, I'm I'm flying out of DC too. So we'll leave it at that. But eh, it's a great deal. It really is. Yeah, the cheapest flight out of Harrisburg right now is nine fifteen, and that's with a stop in Detroit. So it's a pretty good deal. I've I've also yeah. done the cat flight the first time I went to the Rose Bowl from Los Angeles to Harrisburg. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I enjoy the Detroit airport as the only airport I've ever been to, but uh, if I could avoid it, I would do that. So collegiateathletictravel.com. Okay, so the next thing we have to get to is something I expected we'd have something to talk about at this point, but I don't know. I have not seen anything, so this is a live question to the group. Uh, who wants to field the question about Conrad Hussey, uh, the player who was a part of the class and maybe isn't a part of the class is uh, what's the status with Conrad Hussey Fitz, is this, do you want to take this one? Yeah. I've been texting some people right up to the start of the show and uh, it's still an ongoing situation. Conrad Hussey uh, first off to, to answer the last question to segue into this, I think signing those three guys out of the region and possibly a fourth with Conrad Hussey is probably the best uh, recruiting job that they did this, this, this uh, cycle, but Hussey has been in the class for a while. Um, went on vac or vacation, went on official visits to Florida State, to Miami. Both of those schools remain in it. This morning, there were strong indications. And by strong indications, I mean he told the Penn State and the Miami staff he was going to Florida State. Um, that did not happen in terms of paperwork. Uh, of course, you got to sign that stuff, send that stuff, and uh, and go with it. He did not do that. I guess he took some time to think about it. And by mid-afternoon, we had gotten wind that he was still open, like he was still having conversations. There's been multiple Zoom calls with the family. Penn State's still in this one. I am shocked, but Penn State is still in this one. Uh, Conrad Hussey is unsigned. I don't think he's going to sign today um, based on what we've heard, but that's uh, it's a crazy situation because this one was all but written off at this point, and I uh, just wasn't ready to get it done. And, th and that's what happens when you take these, these last-minute official visits. You've got... Uh, Plenty of time to think about it. He was committed since April. Um, so this is a situation where he, what, eight months in the class, and then in the final two weekends of the cycle, he goes to Florida State and Miami. That is a recipe for disaster, essentially, when you're making a, uh, making a decision that's going to second-guess uh, what you've done in the first place. It's going it's to make you second-guess a lot of things. So Penn State still fighting the good fight, uh, trying to get Conrad Hussey. They want Conrad Hussey in their class. Uh, there's, there's a reason... He's been on the commit list for, for eight months. What I call him committed right now, I, it doesn't really matter because there's going to be some finality to this situation unless he decides to take it to February, which I doubt he does. So um, he's got a couple of days to sign. This window is open through Friday, I believe. Um, and uh, that's that's pretty much where we leave it with that. Like I said, I was texting people all the way up into the show, and they're still working on it. They're still trying to make it happen. And uh, I think Penn State is very much in this. And that's something that can change from minute to minute. But uh, as far as where I'm going with this minute, I think uh, Penn State's still still alive. Uh, this is this is the conversation we've had a couple of different times, a couple of different places, Ryan, when we talk about recruiting guys out of your footprint is that there is more of this stuff that happens. Not that guys in state or in region don't take other visits, but Dakari Nelson checked out a couple of other places and Conrad Hussey obviously did as well. So, you know, what, what is your, what is your read on this? And then James Franklin saying, we need to go to more places to get players uh, and expand our footprint even further is I think what he was insinuating going to a more national scale uh, in the future. Well, I mean, let's say what it is. I mean, South Florida is the wild, wild West for recruiting. Okay, I mean, there, there's a reason that there is so much talent there and there's so much, so many schools there. And then when you also add in the fact that the Southern schools, I mean, let's let, again, let's, let's be real here. The Southern schools are just playing on a different game right now when it comes to NIL compared to what the Northern schools are doing. So I, I don't know if that's what's happening to Conrad. I will say this, Conrad, so I've had limited conversations with Conrad. Conrad's probably one of two, three, four kids in this class that I wouldn't say I... I know like the rest of them, but from my conversations with him and from my conversations with other people and Sean, I think you would agree. He, he does fit Penn state. I mean, he cares a lot there there. This isn't about, I don't think this is just about money or any of those kind of things. I mean, King Mac, for example, I mean, they, how many times do they rave today about how King Mac fits this culture. I mean, Conrad does too. Cause that's a question I asked a lot. 
when I was really kind of surprised uh, that he committed in, uh, in the first place. So I, I, I would be lying if I said I had a great read on Conrad. I know our Florida State guys have thought or been pretty confident. I mean, Sean, what, 10-11 today? We, we pretty much thought he was a done deal. We wrote it off. Yeah, I mean, this. Right. I mean, like we said, there are probably letter of intents uh, signed for Florida State somewhere that just have not been sent. And that's uh, crazy when you think about it. But, you know, if he, he needs to take the time, he's going to take the time. So, yeah, we, we wrote this one off. We thought Penn State was out of it. Um, Miami thought that they were out of it as well. But uh, apparently he was not ready to make that final decision. As we said, you, you mentioned Kevion Keys a little bit ago. It's hard to make that final decision sometimes because you're going to second guess yourself. And it's, it's easy to second guess yourself when you're a thousand miles away or going to school a thousand miles away. And it's 80 degrees, one spot and 20 degrees in another. So yeah. I, I don't know how this one's going to turn out, but Penn state certainly sort of rose from the ashes here. You, you thought it was over and then all of a sudden the, they're right back in it. And I, I mean, the kid likes Penn state. I mean, there's no question about the the fact that he likes Penn state and has done, has done it for a while. has been up a couple of times has meshed well with some of the other guys in the group. Um, but uh, he's, he's done a, like, I mean, I, I think he's probably, you get to this point where you start overthinking it and that's, yeah. I, I'm not in his head, so I, I can't say this, but I've seen this, uh, you know, dozens of times where guys get to the end. They want to take that, that extra official visit. They want to experience this. And then it just scrambles their brain and, and they, they don't really know what they're, um, you know, they're not thinking as clearly as they were a couple of weeks prior. So we'll see what happens. I mean, he's, he's got a good head on his shoulders, so we'll see what happens. He's not, it's not like he's doing this for attention. It's not like he's doing this for, you know, a reason to draw things out. I think he'd like to have a decision done, but you know, you, you, you can second guess yourself all you want. Uh, shameless plug. You can, you can hear a couple of prospects talking about those things. Kari Nelson spoke with us on Friday on the BWI daily edition about one of the reasons, the reasons he decided to take some of those uh, visits um, down the stretch here in the fall. And then Andrew Rappelier spoke with Sean here today uh, talking about, you know, the, the perception of decommitting from a program and how that is something that, you know, a guy who wants to give his word and stick to his word, that can be a tough thing to do. I know that came up with KV on keys during James Franklin's press conference as well. So you can check out part one and two of Andrew Rappelier here on our YouTube channel. And uh, Paul, I didn't ignore you. I know that you had this in first thing. I just wanted to make sure that we got to Paul because he gave us 10 bucks here on the channel. Thank you so much for all the donations. Uh, see Paul King giving us a donation as well to the channel. If you want to get your question on air or you feel you're feeling generous in the holiday season, uh, you can always leave us a donation. But we're talking to you tonight on the daily. Um, Michael McCullen puts up a, uh, a uh, super chat here late to the game. R.A.P. Franco Harris. Exciting day. Otherwise. Um, yeah. Uh, give a raise a glass to, to Franco Harris. I, I didn't get my beer. I did not expect started. that this morning. That's unfortunate, especially with the, uh, the, the ceremony coming up, retiring his number and everything, man, that's, that's terrible. I'm not a Pittsburgh fan, but man, that's terrible. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly a, a sad day for Penn State, for Pennsylvania, for Penn State, for the Steelers and for football in general. Franco Harris was a an icon in, in football. And, uh, you know, there have been a lot of wonderful tributes to Franco uh, throughout the day on various platforms. And I'm glad uh, Michael brought it up to that. We could talk about it here for a moment. Getting back to recruiting, though, getting your questions here. How quickly will the offensive line in this class be ready to play? This is a place I want to start with this class. Alex Birchmeyer and Javen Williams. We talked about them off the bat. High-level recruits on the offensive line. James Franklin said that where they're going to start and what they could be in their future. Fitz, this is something you and I talked about the other day. Do you think that these this group of guys can contribute early? Do I? Th I I never want to count on true freshman offensive linemen. Uh, I'll say that first. Number two, Penn State's in a position where they don't need one of these guys to really step in right away and uh, you know just go from the from the jump. That said, Birchmeyer is technically sound. Um, he's big. He's getting there where he needs to be in terms of weight. It's funny because he he's under 285 pounds so he can wrestle which is great because uh, he's wrestling leverage all that kind of thing 
or all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but he's got the technical aspect of it. Uh, and I think he can play uh, several different positions. I know Ryan's kind of been out in front of that, uh, potentially talking about him being an offensive tackle, um, which if you look at the depth chart, that's the place to make a dent because on the interior, you're feeling pretty good about the two deep that you have on that in, uh, on that interior. So I think, uh, yeah, he's, he's the guy that I look to. I know Javen is, is uh, rated just a bit higher, but I think Birch is closer to where he needs to be to, to actually play. Um, but like I said, Penn State's offensive line, uh, things stay together uh, the way that they look right now, don't need freshmen. And that's, that's a great spot to be in. That's a testament to the development that they've had on campus. And it also doesn't hurt that your potential All-American left tackle is going to come back for one more year when you thought maybe he might be up in the air. So I think that that's what I'm thinking. Uh, Donka is a guy that I think is going to take a little bit of time, great feet, uh, athleticism, things like that interesting when ryan asked this question today about where these guys fit in terms of position um james basically said all five spots but he said donk is a guard uh likely a guard likely going to stay a guard um so that's an interesting kind of flip there um but uh hey you you want all the tackles you can get the the cross training and everything like that um so i'm going to turn it over to ryan because this is ryan's question today and i know he knows Mm -hmm. these guys uh these guys as well as anybody yeah, right. Yeah. I wanted to ask you. This is the we're, the video you're watching here on YouTube. You went and saw him live. Uh, he played tackle. What are your thoughts and and what do you think about uh, the situation at tackle with him and Javen Williams? Yeah, great feet, good athleticism. Just has to just refine things. You know, when it, when it when it comes to uh, Anthony Donko. I mean, that's that's the big thing I would say there. And and look, Anthony Donko's offense is very run heavy. It's very similar. To Javen Williams, you know, we we know for both of those guys, or Penn State knows, excuse me, what they're getting, you know, as far as run blockers from those guys. They can pull really well, get upfield, you know, bounce off of blocks, get to a second level. I mean, they've proven that over and over again, uh, which is very encouraging, and, and which is why it makes sense for Donko uh, to start there because I, I think that's really just kind of where he's going to end up uh, overall. I mean, they want to put Birch and Javen out there in the spring, as James said today, to test them. Whether that ends up being where they play long-term or not, we'll see. I've said for the longest time, like, if if Birch Meyer is going to be an NFL guy, and I don't know if Sean agrees with it or not, I think center is where he would be a great NFL guy. But he's also a great athlete, and he's the most ready con- to contribute. And while, yes, they're bringing back Ulu, I heard positive things about Caden. You know, we'll see with Efner, and of course Shelton's there. Uh, that that tackle situation is still where you put them. I mean, just look at the interior. They're, they're in a good spot there. They lose juice, but I think they'll lose juice. But other than that, they should be in a good spot. So we'll see what those guys – I mean, the, 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 big, the only other question I have really is just Javen as a pass protector. That's the one thing we don't know. Right. We, we, right. we don't know how he will, how he will um, you know, adapt, uh, whether it's guard or tackle, just because why I'm missing – really doesn't do that too much. But everything else for Javen is right there. He deserves that five-star rating from an athletic perspective, physically. I mean, there's so many reasons uh, he, he earned that rating. We just have to learn how, how he is as, as a pass protector. But these are three excellent offensive linemen. This is the best. I went back and looked at it the other night. I mean, there's there's really – I think there's only one other class, and I apologize. I don't remember which one it was off the top of my head, that kind of stacked up as far as four-star talent, uh, you know, guys that, that would rival these. I mean, when you look at – they're all rated as interior guys. Uh, what was it? Uh, Javen's one, Birch's three, and then Donko's 20. Uh, if you add in the tackles in there, you know, I'm sure Donko's probably in the, in the 30s and – uh, Birches, I still think, I believe top 10. And of course, Javen is, uh, I think, top three, uh, if you add in the tackles and that. But my point there is they, they signed three of the top 35-ish uh, offensive linemen this year. And if you go back through their classes using least on threes ratings, I don't think you're going to find anything that matches up to it. So uh, Phil Troutwine deserves a ton of credit. I also want to make sure Jaywan Slater gets a lot of credit on this as well, just because uh, Jaywan does a lot of that Northern Virginia area. Uh, of course, Birchmeyer and Donko, they're I don't want to say they're neighbors, but they live within, uh, you know, I think 10, 15, 20 miles of each other. Or so, so J1 had a big hand on that. Uh, and of course, uh, Troutwine uh, crushed it this year, of course. With, he, and Troutwine was the lead recruiter for Javen all the way. So he deserves a lot of credit there. Another thing I, I want to bring up that James Franklin mentioned today, and that I, I noticed getting my first run through the recruiting cycle is these guys were up here all the time at prospect camps. And, uh, Ryan, what sort of advantage is that? And, and how much did you observe from these guys watching them throughout this 
uh, progress because one of the things you know I saw from Shelton last year, it sounds a lot like Jaden Williams. Run heavy offense, doesn't pass protect a whole lot, didn't look great in, in the All Star games, and then suddenly thrown into a game in the middle of uh, November, looked pretty good pass protecting. So what what do you think the the curve is there? I don't want to compare one to one, but like what has been the growth curve well, of these guys, and how much has that exposure helped them? The one thing I would say with, with camp is when we go to these camps, right? You watch quarterbacks throw, you watch receivers catch. You can only glean so much from offensive linemen, right? You can watch them hit pads, and 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 we and we do these O line, D line drills all the time. But it's O line are always at a disadvantage in those drills. You know, let, let's let's call it for what it is. So I don't want to put too much stock into those. I, I would say this: I mean, they wanted Javen to come up because they saw so much potential in Javen, and they 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 want to just keep refining those things. And credit all the credit to Javen and his family. I mean, they came up multiple times, and then also Donko and Birch, as I said, they live very close to each other, so they came up regularly um, together. So where where that gets them on the field, as far as in a year, in two years, in an ideal world, they they probably don't touch the field too much this year because they already have you know their their starters coming back. But I I truly believe that one of those Javen or Birch, I would still lean Javen will probably get more of a push to to tackle. Uh, they're both going to start there this spring. I think Javen will will, will certainly uh, be the one that they want to to contribute there more. But we have to see how he is as a pass protector before we really know anything. I still think Birch, man, as a center, long-term potential would be excellent. He's a great leader. He can read the field. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why he would work. And then Donko is just a mauler. Yeah, he's 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 a big dude. The, he's a. I think the first time I saw him, I'm like, that dude's a unit. Um, oh, and shout out to Cooper Cousins, friend of the show who uh, we know is a, is a fan of the show, also up here a lot this summer working with the Penn State staff. Um, Michael McCollum back. He says, nice to sag three linebackers. Can't believe Carter is guaranteed beyond next season. So linebacker looking great. That's the next place I want to go in this class uh, with three linebackers. James Franklin said, I don't really like to pin these guys into positions because we recruit three outside linebackers. And then he did do that. He did give us the roadmap of what he thinks right now. Uh, Fitz, what, what did you think of this particular group and the way they came together? Uh, I mean, it's pretty unbelievable when you take a look at the – very rarely do they go from three top target, and you could say three of their top five targets from, from start to finish, and they end up signing three of them. I mean, it's pretty unbelievable. Tamir Robinson's been on the, the radar for, for some time, even before – you know, he blew up. Penn State was one of the first schools on him. Rojas is a guy they got to camp very early, uh, ran a 4-7, four, four, I think it was, uh, when he was at camp. One of those guys that, you know, fits the profile of sometimes these guys come in as wide receivers. You know, they, they very early in their career, everybody wants to play wide receiver. I mean, that's, you, you want the ball in your hand. Um, but then eventually you transition and somebody says, hey, you're probably better off on the defensive side of the ball probably can't catch but you're probably on, uh, better off on the defensive side of the ball where you can use that athleticism to be this special kind of defender so right now you're looking excuse me at tamir robinson who is probably a mike um you know you, you don't know how he's going to bounce back from that knee injury they, they think he's going to be fine it's just a matter of he hasn't played in over a year so there's not not much to go off of from that he'll be here in a couple of weeks as a january enrollee hopefully fully healthy and fully ready to go um but just he's clearly got a different body type than those other two. Those other two are six three ish, one hundred and ninety five pounds ish, um, kind of similar to similar size to Dakari Nelson. But uh, they just kind of have different frames, different makeup. Where you see these two uh, ending up at linebacker, probably in a perfect world, both of those guys are Sams. But uh, the way that Penn State has has played it, sometimes that Sam gets closer to that Will than we want to admit. Um, so you could be a Sam or a Will, and and you know. We've been saying for so many years it's either Will or Mike because those are the two box linebackers. But keep those guys on the outside and then eventually transition them inside if you need to. And I think that's what they're going to do with all three is get them, you know, start start uh, start Tamir Robinson at the Will, start those other two at the Sam, give them a chance to play around in space, see if they can handle the space. Not everybody can handle the space, and then figure out what you want to do with them from from there on. You know, Keys and Rojas both have to put some weight on. Like I said, 190. 195 pounds um that's that's not gonna really work in the big 10 but you know i think they'll get there i don't have a problem with uh with the sizes that they are right now 
one of the things I, I guess that surprised me was the order in which he, he put them with with Kavion Keys being the box guy and uh, and uh, Tony Rojas being a Sam in in where they start from. But when you watch Tony Rojas run and I apologize, uh, the reason that I don't have a beverage like my cohorts is that uh, I was trying to get as much video available as possible for the show. And uh, I didn't get Tony up here on the channel. But Ryan, you went and watched him live. Convince me this dude isn't a four-star, five-star running back. And uh, what does that speed mean at linebacker for Penn State? Well, I mean, it's... Look, this is... the What did James Franklin say today? Tony is pretty much physically exactly what they want. And I know that's not answering your speed question there. But from a build perspective, I mean, that's exactly what they want. Yeah. They want to be able to stack pounds on them, add those 15 pounds, 20 pounds, 25, eventually get you to 215 or so and uh, keep that speed on him. But to Tony Rojas was, without a doubt, the most impressive player I saw live this year. And it so the one thing I will say, though, is from a linebacker's perspective, he didn't really play linebacker. He played defensive end in those games. So really watching him read the guards, you know, get outside, pass coverage, there was only so much you can really take from it. <laughs> Fairfax made it really simple. Tony, go get the quarterback. You know, and he yeah. did. I think he had four or five sacks in that game. Uh, it was, it was. I think it was what I think it was four sacks, eight, eight, uh, eight tackles. I don't know, five tackles lost. It was a very, very impressive game. And then he rushed for I don't know over two hundred plus yards and I don't know, four or five touchdowns. It was, it was excellent. But that, that's the, those are the questions we have to to learn about Tony. We know he's an excellent athlete, uh, but but how can he read guards? You know, and in pass coverage because he really hasn't played a lot of linebacker. But from a physical perspective, he's excellent. You know, I would lean a little bit more towards Kavion as being the one who I could maybe see getting on the field a little bit sooner. Just from, mm -hmm. a, I think he has a little bit more of a uh, experience uh, at, at the position. But both those guys are excellent. And of course, as long as Tamir, uh, which I asked Terry Smith today, is he 100%? Is he ready to go? And, and Terry said, yes, uh, I'll, be, I'll be anxious to see how Tamir does this spring, uh, which James said Tamir is going to start the mic, which is always kind of what we expected there. Uh, but it was it was good to get clarification from the head coach. And it's linebacker, it, not not edge defender. Trying to convince people that no, they're they're going to start these guys at linebacker has been one of the most fun things I've I've uh, had these conversations with plenty of people. Like, oh yeah, definitely he's an edge defender, right? And then you have to have that conversation. Uh, the tight end group. Speaking of what position do you play? Let's get right to Mega Barnwell because Ryan, I want to come back to you. Mm -hmm. um, you and I had a conversation after the press conference. Um, what was James Franklin saying when he talked about Mega Barnwell and what position he's going to play at Penn State and the long-term view of what he might be? I'm trying to pull up James's quote real quick because I think James pretty much said it all here uh, when, when asked about Matthias today. He says, we think he can play tight end for sure. And then I also think there's a chance that he can he could play on the offensive line. Now, most high school kids don't want to hear that they, they're being projected to move to the offensive line until you show them how many first-round draft choices on the offensive line started at tight end. That's usually a pretty good story to tell. But at the end of the day, we want guys to play the position they want to play. A lot of times, guys will kind of see that on their own that needs – will see that on their own that they need to move. I mean, I think James really kind of laid it out there. Matthias wants to play tight end. Penn State's going to give him the opportunity to play tight end. Give Matthias credit. He There was a point almost a little over a year ago where he was like 265, pushing 270. I mean, everything was looking like Matthias was going to be 280, 290 by now and, and a surefire offensive tackle. And he said, hey, I really want to play tight end. I'm going to keep the weight off. And he's done that. He's at, he's at 240, I think 245 right now, I believe is what it is, 6'6", 245. You so can give see him credit it, by the that. way. You can mm -hmm. see it on film how he dropped weight, and it was mm -hmm. a it was a bit of a shock to me watching it throughout the year. You don't right. even need the so, film; just look at a picture. I mean, he's he's yeah. completely <laughs> night and day. I mean, it it I don't want to say it got away from him, but he, he put put some weight on fast, and then was able to take it off. And you know, he's trim a trim two forty five. So good for him. Um, but no, I agree with I agree with Ryan. I I think they want him to be an offensive tackle in the worst way because. That's a position you just can't find those guys and you just can't, you know, you can't manufacture everyone to be an offensive tackle. Um, that's that's an intriguing frame. That's, I mean, it's been that way since he was, um, you know, a ninth grader when they offered yep. him. It's like, what is this guy going to be? 
because you don't know that he's going to stick a tight end and tight end. I mean, let's be honest, you can play a couple tight ends at the same time, but it's a lot harder to get on the field as a fifth tight end. So, I mean, where, where is this going to go? All depends on nature. All depends on that nutrition program. All depends on the strength program. Um, they're going to have some fun with him because he's uh, there's a lot to work with there. And I'm curious to see which, uh, you know, which Avenue he ends up taking. But uh, to, if it's me, I, I look at what James Franklin said today. I thought he was going to say, Hey, look at all the money that offensive tackles make in the NFL. That's and a big just, difference than tight ends. Yeah. First off that exactly the difference between the two positions. Let me just read you a couple of numbers, 23, 23, 22, 19, and 18. That is the top five salary in millions of dollars average by the year for tackles in the NFL. So there is no shame in embracing your genetics and being very good at playing tackle. Fitz, this is the question. Either three technique or tackle. And I know we focused on the offensive side, but he was a very good defensive tackle in high school. Is he the wild card of this class that can give Penn State one of the things it's looking for that we aren't going to be talking about today? Are those big guys on on the line of scrimmage that have that length and that sort of difference-making size? Well, you look at his his tape and you wonder is he is he physical enough to to hold up in the middle? And that's uh that's a big question when you're playing that sort of split out tight end that he is, you have questions about whether that'll happen. I, I'm not saying you don't have to be physical as an offensive tackle because you do, but it's a different kind of physicality than when you've got, you know, a guard and a center, you know, just barreling down on you, doubling down and trying to uh trying to put you on your back. So uh the que- that's the only question. It, and it's not a question of do I think he can do it or not? It's just you you haven't really seen it in the the tape. So curious to see where he's at from a physical perspective because they'd even talked about defensive end. And granted, the the run that they went on late with Mason Robinson or with Joseph McVoy, uh, you don't necessarily need another defensive end. But defensive tackle, um, again, when, you, when you're looking at this class and where you would like to add numbers, you sort of go to that place with Mega Barnwell and say, how can he help you the most? And offensive tackle and uh, defensive tackle, are the two that you just kind of gravitate to with this guy. So Ryan, tell me about Joey Schlaffer and, and we'll, we'll save the conversation about Andrew Rappelier uh, for Fitz's conversation with him here on the channel. If you want to check out those and, and kind of get the word from the player himself, you can check out just a whole bunch of stuff on Andrew Rappelier here on the channel, but uh, closest out here with the tight ends on Joey Schlaffer and your thoughts on, what he can be and and what your view of him has been throughout this process. Yeah, just a playmaker. And and <laughs> it's funny. I've seen Joey probably play more than anyone in this class. Of course, he's from Exeter in Reading, so it's it's pretty easy to get there. I I always wondered why Exeter didn't kind of use him more. I mean, he got three, four, five touches a game, uh, and and he was excellent in, in those high point, you know fade end zones which how many times have we seen those fades over the years to the kj hamlers and the Jahan dotsons of the world i mean he, he would fit that really well now of course they they uh you know they have to split them out wide to do those kind of things and we'll see if that happens but he's an excellent playmaker i think he averaged 23 yards a catch this year and by the way he had i think it was 33 catches and 10 touchdowns i want to say somewhere in that ballpark uh, and that may have not included one or two playoff games. I think that was maybe uh, missing his last playoff game or so. But my point is he scored a touchdown every third play, averaging 20-plus yards a catch. I mean, the guy makes plays. What I'll just be interested to see is, especially when you have Rappelier, is where, how do they use him, right? I mean, more of an H-back kind of guy. I don't. I, I, dare, I certainly see them uh, standing him up more, you know, and, and letting him run those shorter intermediate kind of rounds. I think that makes the most sense. But, uh, I mean, Joe, Joey's an absolute playmaker and, and somebody that – I don't, I don't think he would get it on the field right away just because of how deep that tight end room is. I mean, I think Penn State fans know all about Theo. Of course, we'll see what Brenton does, Tyler as well. And then I, I think from talking to people, I don't, I think Jerry, Jerry Cross is really in, impressed in the last, after coming back from an injury, Jerry Cross really impressed recently. And, and then Khalil always is kind of, I feel like always been overlooked a bit. But my point is there's a, there's a lot of talent there. It's not going to be easy for either of these guys to get on the field. But if I had to lean towards one guy to get on the field from a physical perspective, I would still lean towards Rappelier a little bit. But give Joey a year to put on some weight, get used to uh, you know you know college ball, and I could certainly see him making plays in 2024, 2025. So it's not all sunshine and roses. That's not how this works. Uh, even with the top classes, you miss on some players. So these are the places that Penn State is looking in the transfer portal or in the second signing period, according to James Franklin today. 
wide receiver, offensive tackle, defensive tackle. We've touched on a couple of that a little bit. Safety, depending on what happens with Conrad Hussey. And uh, defensive end. That one I, I didn't have on the radar after some of the guys that signed here. Um, Fitz, what's the situation with, I, I guess, what are the biggest misses, in your opinion, of guys that, I don't want to say should have, but they could have gotten that were that were strong possibilities that ultimately landed somewhere else, and how do they recover from those things? Oh, that's, I mean, you can second-guess this class, you know, at a dozen spots, you know, because there's so many guys that come through with offers and things like that. Receiver is going to be the one you keep going back to because you took up space in your class for so long with Hijani Shakir before deciding that you wanted to go in another direction. That kind of kills you right there is, is you lose that that opportunity to take another guy there. Of course, you go to the end with Edwin Joseph. They're just, they're in a spot where they, I think, have second-guessed themselves out of some guys. I mentioned Edwin Joseph. You're wondering if you're wondering if those guys are fast enough, and and at this this point, you're wondering if like a four or five guy is fast enough, which is kind of crazy when you think about how fast an actual four or five guy is. Um, where, where most of these guys are not four 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 three like they say, um, but receiver is I think the one that you just keep going back to because I don't know that there was a guy, um, you know, that outside of Rodney Gallagher early that uh, you know you look to as a, a surefire top target that they quote unquote missed on. But um, there's 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 certainly plenty of guys that wide receivers dime a dozen position right there. I mean, uh, I was trying to find a nice way to say that, but there's a lot of receivers out there that provide the same skill set, and that's why I think the the hit rate at that position is not as high because you've got a lot of similar players, and that's why you find yourself looking for receivers in the portal that actually you know were able to get there and develop. And and not talking about the portal right now, um, but uh, offensive tackle. this group is probably this not so much the offensive tackle group, but this offensive line group. Josh Miller decommitted, and I think people just mm-hmm. kind of wrote it off. Um, Josh Miller is a really good player, yeah. and I think I would not be surprised if he ended up as starter at Georgia. When you lose a number like that, when you're shooting for five and you have four, and and people forget that they had four offensive linemen committed for the longest time, it's tough to backtrack on that and find your way out of there. So, as 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 far as like guys that they missed on, you're going to have misses, um, but. Uh, those positions make a lot of sense. Um, receivers still going out in the portal. Offensive tackles going to be very hard to get in the portal. Uh, Keyshawn Blackstock, the JUCO kid, signed with Michigan State. Um, Johnny Cornelius, the transfer from Rhode Island, ended up at uh, at Oregon. Would those guys have started next year? Probably not. Um, but right. you're still looking for all the bodies that you can get uh, at that offensive tackle position. Yeah, it, it the it seems to be one of those situations where receiver. There's a thousand in the portal, but you're not looking for just any receiver. You're not looking for just any receiver in recruiting. You got to find the right fit from not just a personality standpoint, but from a a uh, need of what are the skills you need in the class. Ryan, you had something? Yeah, I I just want to chime in on this one a little bit. <laughs> a couple guys that they have missed on that I think uh, obviously they I thought they were going to get at least one point. First off, I'm shocked we went 48 minutes and did not mention Daniel Harris yet <laughs> after the last couple of weeks and what that's been like. That's one that I think the staff, there's nothing Nick staff could have done. Uh, it is what it is there. I, I think I think Daniel Harris wanted to be at Georgia. There were some reasons to, to decommit, whether mom, dad, whatever, whether they're on the same page or not, I, I don't even know exactly, but... Penn State pretty much had them. What last last Friday, Sean? When we were here, it, last it Friday, was Penn yep. State, right? Yep. And I don't know whatever happened over the weekend, but something happened there. It is what it is. But two guys that I really think that man, Penn State really wanted, and I thought they were going to get Jason Moore, Dematha, Evan Link, Gonzaga, both WCAC guys down there in the DC area. Look, Jason Moore coming off that official visit, another guy where. Everybody was feeling really good about this one. He goes to Ohio State. Larry Johnson. I think Penn State fans. I don't want to say gotten used to it, but like I mean, Ohio State's Ohio State guys. So they Larry Johnson. You is get Larry it. Johnson. You do get I it. I think they get that. A, yeah. Yeah. A high four star, a five star guy goes to Ohio State. That is a pipeline directly to the top five in the NFL for the right player. Right. Right. So I mean, that's just one that they they certainly missed on. And then Penn State worked on Jason Moore. We, I don't think we talked about it enough, Sean, about. You know, July, August, September, Penn State was working on Jason Moore more than I think we talked about publicly. 
It, they never were able to get him to visit. I wasn't really going to talk about it a lot unless he was going to seriously maybe consider coming to one of the games this year. And, and that just never happened. So that's why I don't think we talked about it a lot. But there was communication with Jason Moore, uh, I think more than uh, we, we discussed it. And then just with Evan Link, I mean, it, we knew it was all about academics. And it was funny because he never got to take the official visit to, to Michigan, or at least yeah. at the time in the summer, because he was sick. And he actually like genuinely was sick. And his schools were Penn State, which was a good academic school, better football program, Stanford, uh, okay football program, elite academics. Well, what's in the middle? Michigan. And, and, and once he was able to take a – did he take an unofficial visit? Like, I'm trying to remember. Did he take an unofficial visit in July? I, I think, think he, he got did. out there at the end of July. Um, yeah. But I wasn't working, so I wasn't really following it. <laughs> like, yeah. Boom. And he, yep. Yeah, July 30th, he was out there. So it, it just once he was able to take an unofficial visit there, I mean, look, whether Penn State fans want to it or not, Michigan is, an, is a great academic school. It is a little bit higher than Penn State. Penn State's a good academic school too, guys, but, but Michigan is a little higher on that spectrum. His brother goes to Harvard. I don't know if people know that, but like academics are seriously very incredibly important Legit, with that family. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it made sense in the end, but that was one where another one where Penn State thought they pretty much had him, and uh, he ends up getting away there. So I, I think I think Evan Link heard a little bit more than Jason Moore from the perspective of, you know, I think Evan Link was all signs reporting towards Penn State, and then it slipped away. A uh, couple more things I want to get to here. We got a couple more minutes uh, on the show. Something James Franklin talked about in his opening statement. We got big guys. We got little guys. Let's talk about some of the little guys. You mentioned Carmelo Taylor. Uh, you know, good frame, but 155, according to our uh, our measure from it on three. That's correct. Cam Wallace, 175 pounds. Lunna Montgomery, I think we had him 175 as well. Is the lack of size at the skill position, is that a concern for either of you in this class? Uh, Fitz, what do you think? Yeah, uh, a little bit. I mean, you look at these guys, and and I think more for an early impact, um, uh, from an early impact stance than an actual development stance, because they Penn State has had guys that come in small, and they, you know, they make the most of it. Um, I will say, with how things have set up at running back, that's certainly big questions there. London Montgomery, you don't know what he's going to be like coming off of the knee injury and, and subsequent surgery. Cam Wallace, I, I mean, he's a lot smaller than we gave him credit for. I think we had him at six foot 185 or something coming into the visit, 5'10, 170, you know, something like that coming out of it. So that's it's amazing how that, well, he came up, came up north. He got cold, shrink, <laughs> you know, Seinfeld jokes and such. Um, and then Taylor is 155 pounds, which he can, he can scoot. I mean, he can yeah. run really well. But 155 pounds, it's uh, it's tough to, to go out. So, yeah, I think the, the lack of size there is an issue, um, like I said, for, for more immediate. I will say this with Cameron Wallace, and this is the thing they love about Cam Wallace. When you put on that tape, very good running back tape, obviously, you know, he's a Division One running back, but you see his defensive tape. He's not afraid to get in there. He hits, and that's really what put him over the top of the staff was they loved his defensive take. Not that they were going to take him on defense, but when you can play football on both sides of the ball and have that level of instinctual football awareness, it says something. And I think that positional flexibility is probably the wrong word for this, but your ability to to play all-around game uh, play the all-around game is something that Cam Wallace really brings to the table that I think people are probably over, overlooking. Um He's got speed, he's got quickness and things like that for a back. Um, but uh, throw him back there at safety, throw him at corner, he'll come up, come up and hit you. And that's that's absolutely what you would need uh, from a uh, from a high school running back prospect. A lot of guys in this class are fun because they do that, where King Mack is undersized, he'll fly around and hit you. And both of these guys, I think London Montgomery doesn't get enough credit as well for having great contact balance. And we just didn't see him play his senior year. Uh, Cameron Walsh, film room, coming up tomorrow. Uh Ryan, I want to come back to you with this. Um, James Franklin, during the live stream, made it seem like Wallace, they're counting on him. I know that the numbers, they're in flux possibly, but is is it more than just that? Because he does bring that big-time speed. Do you see a role for him in the offense, or, or, or is it purely the potential he might be the third back when all the dust settles yeah it depends on kb on I mean, let's uh, that's that's a big thing that i think kb coming back i mean just from the signs Kevon. we've oh that's a kb on yeah <laughs> i think i've had maybe i had one too many sorry guys Kevon yeah. Lee. <laughs> yeah so i mean it's gonna depend on that i think he's coming back but i mean obviously they, they're totally two different backs i'm just saying 
I mean, look, they can only can you give four or five backs the ball? I, I don't know if that's if that's really too realistic outside of uh, maybe uh, some of those early season games. But I mean, there's there's a lot of ways you can use him, of course, as a speed guy. But Nick Singleton is incredible. So do I expect Cam Wallace to come in next year and get I don't know five ten touches a game? No, I, I don't really see that. I still think and um, look. I mean, he's an incredible player, but I do think it's important to remember that he's playing in one A. Down in Georgia. Now, look, 1A in Georgia, guys, is 3, 4A up here. I mean, McDevitt's 4A up here. I mean, I think that's probably a, a similar level considering how incredible Georgia high school football is. I mean, it is, uh, if there's any state that's on the rise more than Georgia, I, I'd love to see it. So that's important to note, though. I, I do think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's not, he's not playing at some of those massive Atlanta powers. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure there, he has the speed. There's ways. I mean, maybe special teams. I, I'm not exactly sure. I, I think there's others that probably make a little bit more sense. Uh, I think actually Carmelo Taylor probably makes a little bit more sense from that perspective. But uh, there's there's a lot to like here. I mean, get him on the field. Let's see how it plays out. If he was maybe even enrolling early too, I could see it a little bit more. But I still think this is the Nick Singleton show. And then, uh, of course, Katron will have a big impact as well. So moving on quickly because there are a couple more things I want to touch on. Quick guy, we haven't talked about it all. The quarterback, we usually start with the quarterback, Jackson Smolik. Um, what are your thoughts on him? I'm going to come back to you on this one, Ryan, because you went out to see him. James Ryan calls him the steal of the class. What did you see when you saw him in person, and what was your impression of him talking to him? <laughs> we go through this all the time, right? Uh, Jackson was averaging like incredible stats. Uh, his first couple games, I forget what it was. It's, you know, almost 300 yards passing, a couple touchdowns a game. And then the game I go to, they ran the ball 40-plus times. So the game I went to, unfortunately, wasn't the best of examples of what it could have potentially have been. But I just see a smart player. And then that's really, I think, what Jackson, uh, when we have talked over the last couple of days, uh, that's something he's consistently hit on is he feels like that's his biggest strength is just reading the field, making smart plays, not making dumb plays. I mean, I think he only had four interceptions, I want to say, this year. Uh, on uh, I believe it wasn't quite 200 pass attempts, but it was a, it was a pretty good number there. So uh, smart player. Look, uh, Drew Aller. I mean, th- this is this is this is his team uh, next year, and let's see how things play out. But uh, you know, of course, Bo Prabula too is an excellent player. But Jackson Jackson Smolik earned this opportunity, and Jackson Smolik is a better athlete than I think all of us realized when he came to camp. Sean was it a four eight forty? I think that's what I think it was, was a little quicker than that. To be honest with you, better, right? Okay. He surprised. I, I saw some numbers, and he surprised me with his numbers because they were compare. I was comparing them to some of the other other quarterbacks that they had in, and they were significantly better than uh, than a lot of those numbers. So I was surprised by that, but uh, certainly pleasantly surprised. Okay, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I, I like I like Smolik a lot. I mean, this is a big adjustment here, uh, moving up to this level. Although I will say that uh, Iowa high school football was better uh, than, than I think I even realized the more I more I looked into it this year. Which, by the way, I looked it up now. Four six nine. Six nine. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, oh, a fourth, a four three shuttle, guys. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. A good. So the the funny thing is, somebody asked me what quarterback is he like. I'm like, well, if you mushed Trace McSorley and uh, Sean Clifford together, I kind of, that's kind of you squint a little bit. That's what I see on tape. Uh, Stone Cold Killer. You know, he's a great decision maker, but he's a pocket passer first, and I think that athleticism is something that he's still learning to use. Fitz, I don't think we've we've talked about uh, Smolik together before. What are your thoughts on him? Um, like him as an athlete, um, he's, he's a guy that's, uh, more accurate than a power passer, I would say. Um, so it, it's not, uh, I, I just don't think he blows you away in any one thing, but he's got the leadership. He's got a lot of things that, uh, you know, some of the very productive quarterbacks at Penn state have had, it's just not going to blow you away with his arm or anything like that, which is fine. You know, he'll get stronger and, uh, you know, he's, he's pretty athletic. As Ryan said, he read a, read off a couple numbers for you. I saw him in camp. He's a pretty good quarterback. I mean, I, I don't don't think he's he's at the caliber of what they brought in in the prior class, but I think he's a good guy um, to 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 have there. And I think he's a, a guy that'll compete. Certainly came in uh, committed to Tulane, competed against a bunch of guys that were vying for that open offer, and and there's something to be said for that. So uh, I'm excited to watch him develop. I'm excited to watch him get bigger and stronger. He's he looks young he looks like a guy that mm. uh, is going to have a lot of physical development ahead of him so I'm, I'm curious to see how that impacts his arm strength how that impacts uh him as a player so 
very curious to see what the next couple of years hold for him. It's it's not an easy situation. I mean, we said that uh, when we were talking about Dante Moore as Penn State's top quarterback target in that cycle. They weren't going to get Dante Moore because of what they signed the year before. So interesting, uh, interesting in between year for Penn State, and uh, you know that's a that's a good pull if you get a kid of this ca- of this caliber as uh, after a two quarterback class. I said that's a pretty good pull. Get your questions in here at the very end. We're going to go five quick questions. I've got some prepared, but if I see some good ones in the chat, uh, we'll go to those ones. So last call for questions. We are going to talk about Kenny Sanders and Alan Zemitis today uh, because both of them, you know, giving some love to the behind the scenes people that aren't the coaches, that aren't the people out in the front of the microphone. Both of them got a lot of uh, credit today from the coaching staff, and we got a chance to speak to them as well after James Franklin spoke. So come back to you, Ryan. Um, your thoughts on, on their contributions, and you mentioned a couple of them here, but how important are these two guys to the staff? Uh, I mean, there's so many of them. Uh, I, I could rattle off the whole staff right now, but uh, I'll, I'll, we met with these guys today. So <laughs> the first thing I'll say is, Sean, you're with me for this one. We got to talk to Kenny today, and I said, Kenny, how many guys do you text today? And I said, 50, and he just laughed in my face, <laughs> like which I thought was like, I thought was a good number. But he said he talks to, he has uh, about 70, 20, 24 guys alone that he needs to communicate with almost daily. I don't know if it's every single one of those guys, but I think it's well over 100. So I, I just think that kind of gives you perspective, right? I mean, he's in charge of communicating with 70, 20, 24 guys the day before signing day. Okay. And then obviously, you know, there's a ton of 2023 things going through and the transfer portal. I mean, there's just so much going on right now. These guys are working, I would say 15 hour days. And I'm probably, they're probably laughing at that. If they see this yeah, right now, that's but, probably well short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, look, Kenny Sanders Kenny is a pro, asleep. Man. Kenny was asleep talking to us. I'm convinced of it. He was just sitting there <laughs> he and he was just I rattling that. off these numbers and things like that. And he was, <laughs> Kenny's yeah yeah that's kind of where you're at with these guys and Andy was the same way there's the the last couple of weeks especially the last week going into signing day because you're always recruiting you're always doing all this stuff and on top of that you have to plan all the signing day stuff which a lot goes into it um but uh yeah those guys were quite quite tired and uh you know we've 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 all had a long signing day but those guys have had the longest signing day I say all the time how like I, I feel like people in our industry were always like Oh, we're drinking beers like, oh, we worked so hard today. Signing day's over. And <laughs> we don't do anything compared to those guys. So I just laugh at that all the time. Uh, yeah, I think we work hard, but it's nothing compared to those guys. Quick first question here is going to be uh, rapid fire. What are you guys drinking tonight? Uh, Dogfish 60-minute IPA. Uh, anti-fragile evidence of absence. Oh, you guys. If I, lived in, if I lived in State College, still, that would be my pick. Yeah. I love a good craft beer, so excellent choices all around. Next one comes from Chris. He says, how is Stubbs doing right now? Taylor Stubblefield feels like he's missed on some top wide receivers. Uh, what are your thoughts on the receiver position? I know we've been talking a lot about it, but in reference to Stubblefield, how, how do you feel that situation is? I would. I mean, Sean, I'll throw this to you, but I, the one thing I would just say real quick is I don't think we have an answer yet because the portal is where we're going to get this answer. Uh, right. I mean, they want guys who are going to come in and play right away. Obviously, they would have liked to have gotten another 2023 wide receiver. But what they need is they need to surround Drew Aller now, immediately next year, obviously, is what I'm talking about. So this this is I just don't I think it's an incomplete answer right now. Uh, they found Carmelo Taylor. Carmelo Taylor has a 10, 5, 6, 100 meter guys. I mean, it's an incredible number. Yes, he's 155 pounds and he needs to add on weight as soon as he gets here. And he will. Uh, but Carmelo Taylor is going to end up being a steal. Sure, there were some other guys that they would have liked to gotten in this class, but again, if they if they if they're able to get Cephas, and we still believe they're the favorite there, let's see how things progress in the coming days. That's a great pickup, and then I think they if they can get one more from somewhere, um, you know that that's what they need. They need guys who are going to come in and impact, make an impact against West Virginia. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be Caden Prather. I don't think it's going to be Dante Thornton. Uh, there's a couple of guys that are on the board, posted some notes yesterday. Devin Carter, NC State is a guy to look for. Devontae Walker, by the way, committed to North Carolina today. Not surprised at all. Um, they were the leader since he went into the portal. He's a Charlotte guy. Penn State pursued hard, wanted to get him on campus for a visit. Didn't happen. That's the way that it happens in the portal. Um, in terms of Stubblefield, um, yeah, he's not the dynamic recruiter. That's been the, the thing for him the entire time. Um, he's been a developer. He's been a guy that uh, has 
you know, you've looked to, to take what you have on your roster and make it better. He's done that at times. Um, but there's a bit of a hole right there right now. And is that on his shoulder? Some of it, I think it is, but, uh, no, I, th- I mean, I think we want to find the next hot seat guy last year. It was trout, uh, or no, last year it was how trout's been there. Everybody's been there. Everybody's looking for the hot seat guy. And, and I guess we've moved on to Taylor Stubblefield. Um, I will say T Frank, I was not prepared for your question earlier about, uh, specific guys that they missed. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't know if you could, I was trying to do like the, the hamster was going, <laughs> but it wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cam Selden, I think, is that guy from Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big-time target for the staff. Tennessee got him uh, in the summer. And typically, when you recruit against Tennessee in the fall, the way that they've done it the last several years is that Tennessee's fallen off, and you've been able to scoop up guys like that, uh, or at least schools have been able to scoop up guys like that. And missing on Cam Selden, they put a lot of time into Cam Selden, Cider, this Poindexter especially. Um, you know, there was talk about him being a big time safety or talk about him being a running back and things like that, but he wanted to be a receiver the entire time. And that's one that I think they missed on because, um, while he comes from a spot or from a, from an area where it's going to be a big jump in competition to the sec or the big, big 10 physically, I think he's able to do that. And that's, that's, that's where it's going to hurt you. And then on top of that, going back and we're talking receivers here, losing Lonnie White. I know that that was always a threat there, but losing Lonnie White was a big one because he's a phenomenally talented athlete that uh, would have been working his way into the rotation by now. Yeah, and you got the patented T. Frank uh, curveball that Ryan has gotten used to, where you guys killed it on uh, on that particular part of the the rundown, and then that just popped in my head, and I it, it just came out. So that's all right. Uh, I got T.J. Parker for defense when you ask about that too. So that one. <laughs> hey, one thing, real quick. I know we got we got to get moving here soon. I can hear my yeah. wife upstairs struggling with my children to get them to bed right now. But one thing I would also just say with receivers is just like who did they other than Rodney and Cam like. And obviously, Yazid flips. Yeah, they had Yazid. But, like, who else did they, like, absolutely whiff on? I, I can't really think of too many Noah Rogers, Bryson Rogers. They don't really – they're not whiffs in my mind. I mean, there's some other guys, uh, more local guys that they flirted with for a little while. But I, I wouldn't really consider them massive whiffs. Uh, so, I, I just – I think yeah, Cam Selden, absolutely. That's, that's somebody they really wanted. But it's not like they missed on five, six guys this year that we were all picking to end up here. Uh, last note, last word is going to be from P. Danny, watching from South Korea. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an international show. Uh, this is uh, this has been fantastic. And I do want to apologize, T. Frank and Lash Building Internet Provider on the hot seat. I don't know what's going on with my internet tonight. I apologize. We're going to figure that out. Uh, I have I pay for the highest internet. I have the best equipment to make sure that doesn't happen, and it's been happening lately. So we'll get that sorted out before the next live show. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. I've taken up of their time. Sean Fitz and Ryan Snyder, thank you both so much for coming on The Daily. We're not going to get any last words because we're out of here. We will talk to you tomorrow on the BWI Daily Edition.